Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew, where we serve a weekly menu of industry commentary based on what the market has to offer. I'm Andrew Friedman from Tokeland.com. I'm Jimmy Bradley from The Red Cat. And we are thrilled, honored, excited. How many adjectives, Jimmy? Wicked pisser. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> to have uh, in studio this week uh, our old friend, uh, and all of our listeners know him, uh, Marcus Samuelson, Chef Marcus Samuelson. Thank you. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Uh, we're thrilled to have you back. Uh, we've got Marcus here for a couple of reasons. Yes, uh, we do. One is, uh, you know, Marcus was here last, uh, I guess, late last spring. Yeah. Um, uh, and in the intervening time, we had hoped to have him back. We didn't get a chance. We actually took a hiatus in the fall. Uh, but Marcus's latest cookbook came out, uh, the Red Rooster cookbook. And um, it's something that we'd wanted to have a chance to talk to him about. But we were off taking care of some other business um so we figured better late than never uh get you in here and talk about that um you're also allowed to be off you thank you you. it's okay we had we had good reasons yeah exactly Uh, we were off for happy reasons but time-consuming reasons um but um and then we have some other things we're going to talk about some uh goings on at red rooster uh having to do with black history month Mm -hmm. and and maybe just some other general cool talk but before we get into the other things can we talk marcus about uh, this cookbook, it's obviously not your first, yeah. uh, but it, it, it's, um, the subtitle of the Red Rooster cookbook is The Story of Food and Hustle in Harlem. Mm. Um, maybe, uh, maybe in your own words, you could just talk a little bit about it, because it, it is a cookbook, but it's also sort of laced with articles and profiles and other little mm. bits and pieces that sort of give it a life that's a little different for most cookbooks. Yeah. No, I thought the the opportunity to present the community that the restaurant sits in, uh, and we're just basically happy restaurant workers to sort of operate there, right? Like, give a little bit... We couldn't do this book without connecting the past with the present and hopefully what the future can bring, right? And um, so having people like... Dapper Dan talk about that Harlem always been stylish. It's not a moment that happened because there's a new store opening uh, across the street or having a moment where, you know, talking about this mystique area of El Barrio, how it's shifted from Italian-American community, Jewish community to Puerto Rican community that now actually happens to be some of the best Mexican food in the city is right there. Now, I love that, I know that, but I'm not the best ambassador for that. So having other people sort of talk about it in our book and really inviting the ambassador of the community to connect about where did Harlem come from, why, how did it get to this moment that it has right now, and where do we go from here? So, um, you know, sometimes there was a designer, sometimes it was Thalma Golden from the Studio Museum, sometimes it was someone like Lana Turner. And it's also showing the word hustle was very important for me to put on the cover because we all know that opening a restaurant is a hustle. And, um, you know, when we did Red Rooster, we wanted to sort of match the energy of Harlem and Lennox, which is a hustle. So, uh, and writing a book is a hustle. So right, right. it was kind of like a fun word to kind of, it, we always came back to that word. Sure. So, uh, so. And this book is not done uh, only by me. Everything we do in the restaurant is obviously a collaboration. But our restaurant wouldn't be the restaurant without the musicians, without Bobby Fisher's amazing pictures, without Hilton's Al's amazing foreword. So, Without April, my co-writers, incredible sort of, I mean, it was people for two years that said, okay, we're going to live here. 
and we're going to give you a book. Was this and, the book that you always – how long did it take you to kind of um, – conceive the book as it exists in final form. In other words, was that a process, you know, was the book that you sold to your publisher the book that we're holding in our hands as I'm sitting here with you today? Or did it sort of evolve as you went along? Because it is an interesting um, mixture, right, of of elements uh, that um, has has sort of its own rhythm. It has a life to it um, that I'm imagining, um, having worked on books, but uh, you know, that it might have sort of evolved as you were going through the process of, of writing and of, and of living during the time that you were doing the book. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You said a lot of interesting crossroads there. Like, I've never felt I've gone and sold a book to a publisher because I I feel like it has to evolve. Like, for me, it's like going to meet them and then let me come back to me in three years and then let me just do the work. And right. Sure, edit, be on top of us. But... It's really about authorship of urban food, right? It's authorship of that. That's what's in there, actually. Who has the authorship to that? How do we talk about the migration and this moment that we live in right now? What does the migration give to us? Plus, urban has always been cool, right? What moment has urban America not been interesting both for our country but also to the rest of the world. You right. know what I mean? How do you contextualize everything the migration gave us from Miles Davis to hip hop to soul food to, you know, what, you know, these, to what, what this moment we're in today, right? And you can go up to any publisher and sell that because it's kind of like, it's too much, right? So all I want to, when I go up and do that, I'm just like, all right, we're going to do a book. It's going to be great. <laughs> right. It's going to be called The Red Rooster. I'm going to talk about right. Harlem. Yeah. Talk about my restaurant. Yeah. going to bring my friend. Because, <laughs> exactly. Because it's like, but so yeah, I thought I wanted to do something like that. But the book also obviously got, got better than we thought because we met amazing people along the way. You know, when you start a project, it's like, sure. this amazing cat came from nowhere. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to edit him out because we have deadlines in two months. It's kind of the same thing when you build a restaurant. You right? Know? You're not certain what you're going to hang on the walls. Maybe you meet somebody like you yeah. said, Bobby Fisher. Yeah. Somebody walks in. Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to I want to use that. And it, and it was constantly that, that, you know, I wanted to show a lot of um, vulnerability because building Red Rooster, I was very vulnerable at the time. Uh, and not knowing, showing that I had, I didn't know. I took the staff on a ride, but I was on a, also on a ride, having left Aquavit, starting my new business, starting it in Harlem, and not being quite sure because I thought that was, you know, a lot of people are in crossroads in, in, in all, all the time, and but showing that vulnerability. It's not like we knew what we we're doing, and there it is, you know, thumbs right. up all the way. Showing that. Part of it is, you know, the journey on the path as opposed yeah. to just getting there. You, you mentioned the migration. I wanted to just touch on, uh, I think you, you allude to it as the four avenues in the book mm. of of, mm. of arriving at yeah. a style of food or, or the way the book is uh, – the narrative of the mm-hmm. book. Um, you mentioned the Great Migration. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, what else? Oh, the the globalization. Yeah. When uh, you mentioned current times, and Excellent. you mentioned your story, and and can you tell us a little bit about weaving yeah. those together and the significance of it? Yeah, I mean, when when we think about Harlem as as a, as a village in Manhattan. The Great Migration, really Southerners coming up, uh, predominantly African Americans coming up north, and how they f- how their food changed when it came up north. It was not like they had a farm here the way they had in Virginia, and they had to send the food through the train, through the buses in a certain ways. So the food changed, right? And there were certain dishes that didn't change that much, but a lot of the vegetables changed a lot because it just wasn't the same climate. Um, it really became about the bird and pork those were the two main proteins uh, but not the best cuts you know and and how do you make something with very how do you make chicken oyster taste like fillet we all as chefs now love that stuff but it wasn't always a time for that right but then also showing that um it was still very diverse, that food, because if the settler was from Holland, had a different implication. If the black maid married a, a Latin co-worker, it had a different outcome. That's why you had tamales in, in Memphis and it's considered a soul food dish. Uh, the Native American had a lot of importance. So it was a lot, first, it was a lot about talking about what the migration brought us, but then obviously global immigration, which I am a, I'm a part of, right? So, you know, 
that El Barrio has changed from Puerto Rican to a Mexican-American community, that's a sign of that. The fact that in West, uh, in 116, starts a little West Africa, right? Which is Senegalese, Mali, a little bit Nigeria. Well, that tastes very different than Central Harlem. But maybe it doesn't because okra and grits come from Senegal. So it does have, it's like these rivers that run into each other, but it's not a linear path. And all we do in the book is really uploading that with great storytellings and narratives. So, Marcus, I have a question. This is a little bit outside the book, but, you know, having known you since you were at Aquavit, yeah. and that was like the one restaurant where you were doing what you were doing there, you know, and then Red Rooster, and then you've had other projects since mm-hmm. then, you know, and you just, you know, this is the Red Rooster book, right? And we say yeah. these four avenues you two yeah. were just talking about are the four avenues that kind of flow together into yeah. or converge into the Red Rooster cuisine, right? Do you think in terms of your, how do you think of your, your, you've written about identity mm-hmm. a lot, yeah. personal identity. Sure. What about culinary identity? Mm-hmm. For you personally, like when you're home, mm-hmm. how does Marcus Samuelson cook? Do you know what I mean? Like, that was probably a very simple answer in your Aquavit days. Yeah. And it's probably a much more complex answer, I would imagine, today. Yeah. I will always lean, and this is interesting, it's such a good question, because I will always lean to the one thing that you can't say, see, I will always lean Japanese. Oh my gosh. Well, like okay. if you ask me first, but that was a good question. No, no but, but like you can't tell. The name didn't give away. But. That wasn't part of the four avenues. No, no. But I mean that's the food. If you ask me one cuisine that I want to eat every day of my life. Yeah. And uh I think about fish more before than I think about meat. I just do. I grew up sure. in an island. Yeah. And my first love for food was always Japanese food. Uh and I'm also bad at it. I'm not good at it. You know, I think I'm good at it, but I'm not. You right. Know, like, sure. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a big difference. You're here. not going to hang out a shingle and start no. selling it. No. No. But uh, I ask me these questions constantly. Did we put marine in there? Did we use white soy? I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Why do you, those are the, how much umami is, is, is the miso in that broth? Yeah. Uh, did we put fermented miso in the brown butter? Yeah. You know, those are questions that I ask myself. Um, so... That yeah, that just puts another bow tie on it, right? Uh-huh. But that's what you asked me, and that's how I feel. That's where you are right yeah. now. Fascinating. What yeah. about when you get behind the stove and you're making dinner? Um, I love very often if I make dinner for my wife, it's very often she started it with an Ethiopian stew. And I love stepping into that because no matter what you add, you can make a great pasta with some really spicy, good lamb stew, right? Sure, sure. All you have to do is just like get in there, get the rigatoni going and just like let it simmer away. So, or making great breakfast that way, like a beautiful open-faced omelette with some fresh ricotta. Yeah, that's what came to nice my mind stew. when you said oh. that. So I'll have some grits and some eggs <laughs> yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's uh, so, so that's probably, we always have a good base of homemade food that she started, and then I can jump on that. So that's a that's an easier way to start. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about two other things in the book. One of them is you have these playlists mm-hmm. uh, throughout the book. Where, where did the idea for that come from? You know, it's people have for a long time toyed with this connection of music and, and food. You know, there were these DVD, uh, not yeah. DVDs, CDs back, you know, like probably 20 years ago. Like music to cook sure. by, and there was this little phase we went through. Um, but wh- wh- yeah. wh- what's the, you know you, these, you have these playlists that accompany sure. certain sections in the book. But it's really about uh, when you when you operate in Harlem, you're really allowed to operate on a different grid. So you can't look at what's the latest fashion. I look at my staff, and part of my staff are the musicians. The art on the wall is not there because we like blue or green. It really informs the diner of what was here before us or where we're going. The music, like there are 70 musicians every week that calls Red Rooster home. So I couldn't do the restaurant. I couldn't talk about Red Rooster, the restaurant, without having music in in there, right? So it was also, so it's really, it's just as much part as the cooks and the the dishwashers and the servers. and yeah, I know that's not part of a traditional staff, but it's also nothing traditional about the restaurant. So yeah. it was important that we have original music in there. And then, you know, this restaurant we're in, Roberta, for me, is, you know, I love the word weird in a restaurant, right? Roberta is that. Harlem, coming to Harlem for a third of our audience could be weird. And I've learned a lot of 
good stuff in life through David Bowie, through Prince, through Miles, right? And if we don't, and music is really very often the first step when someone's like, you're going to hear a song? So that was weird, but I don't know if I like it and go back to it. Before you come to the food very often, right? Mm -hmm. So music informs our food decision, informs our maybe openness to other people. Well, I, mean, I couldn't have thought of a better time ever to present that than now because this is the time that we need to hold on to weird differences, different smells, different music, and different food. Is it also part of, you know, like people speak about food being the fabric, you know, of a culture or a memory, and, mm -hmm. and certainly music as well. So is the music, um, in this case, like reinforcing something, or is it, is it part of telling the story, or is it like a supplemental portion? No, well, it's, it's reinforcing and part of telling a story. So two years ago, Chinese New Year, we had an 18-piece all-Chinese jazz band playing uh, a, um, a jazz uh, contribute, right? And it happened to be that J Chinese New Year was during Black History Month. And for me, you know, all these dates and stuff like that, but for me it's more about telling an open story. Like one of my favorite musical events was when we had a heavy metal band from Africa in the restaurant, right? And their favorite musicians was Motorhead. Right now, now that's Lemmy. Yeah. Lemmy, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, but so now, welcome to the new world, and that's what our state. That's if you have a basement in Harlem, you can't be weird. I don't know where in the world you can be allowed to do that. If you have a little stage in Brooklyn like this, right? You can't have a radio show like wherever could you have it, right? So I think it's we need those places, and it informs us about being open-minded. So the restaurant for you, I mean, it seems very much when you talk, you were talk it's kind of the way you were talking about the book, you know, it, it seems to, that it's very much a, um, like an amalgamation. a living, well, also a living thing, you know, mm -hmm. a living thing that grows and matures and changes the way a living thing does. Uh, yeah. how, 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 I mean, and maybe the answer is not, not, is not so much, but how, how, how has the restaurant changed since it's open? What's, what have been the Whoa. big sort of, um, uh, metamorphoses that it's gone through. Wow, that's a and maybe that aren't even maybe behind the scenes. But yeah, well, there, there there are many examples of that. Some of the traditional that 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 Jimmy knows that the line the the, the prep cook became a sous chef. Yeah, so that's a that's a reward and very important for the growth of the restaurant. Right. Um, the the phone lady is now a manager. So you have these like. The great bartender's now open his own cocktail bar down the street. So the kids, the kids are growing up. Growing up, so, yeah. But so that's normal, and that's what what is. But that's be also, done. I'm assuming, very satisfying for you. Very important. Yeah. That's uh, the aspiration that you don't have to leave our community; that you can come to our community and stay there and learn as a culinarian. Very important. Yeah. Right. But then uh, it's also that I, I I wanted to have this very. It can't be predictable. Like we, our content, I want our customer just to trust it. Go to the basement, not based on what's playing down there, just trust us, right? And and whether that's a, I think for Valentine's Day, we're going to have a big ass mariachi band and it's going to be beautiful. Not expected probably, but it's, I know it's going to be beautiful, right? And we've had Swedish choirs in there and we've, you know, this, so just trust us versus saying, I'm coming for this, and it's got to be this, and otherwise right. it's not good. Don't do, don't force yourself upon us here now. Like we we're, we're gonna give you a show, and my guy's gonna perform. Appreciate that, right? You know, sure. And that's that's you know we opened with a band called Pink Martini. It was our first band that ever performed. Oh my gosh, from I mean, Portland? Yeah, I and, I was at a wedding on Mount mm -hmm. Hood about twenty, mm -hmm. maybe eighteen, twenty, might have been twenty yeah. years ago. Pink Martini was the band oh, wow. at this so cool. wedding before they were oh known. They're, They're amazing. amazing. But that set the tone for me yeah. about what the, the sound and the, the open mind. They sing in Czechish. They sing in German. They sing in Spanish. I mean, it's basically like a, a Trump nightmare, right? Like, like, <laughs> like, like, you know, like... Oh, we're going there. Pants okay. would just walk straight out, right? It's like, <laughs> what is this? Or control them. Right. Yeah. But... It's also what the restaurant is. We are a bunch of misfits. Thank God. We have always been, not always, but we always try to be very open-minded. When other businesses shied away from communities, you know, Red Cat went in, you know, or, and like, you know, like, there's many examples where the restaurant was only the f only civil thing in that place. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it, 
everything else came after that. That's, yeah. Restaurants, there is a real history that, especially in New York City, of restaurants making neighborhoods safe. Yeah. Restaurants making them uh, appealing. Restaurants serving as sort of a, a beacon. Absolutely. And, and the word restaurant means to restore a community. And without, without there's 160 employees there. Those 150 of those jobs you can't outsource. Yeah. And I love that. Whether that's the plumber, whether that's the, the person, our handy guy, or whether it's the server. You can't really, there's a couple of tech jobs that you can outsource there. But other than that, and it also gives an identity to that community. And so I think it's, it's have evolved in that. Yeah. And then also understanding our role. Sometimes we're maybe part of the problem, but we yeah. want to be part of the solution. Right. So what do you do? So I think our festival very much came out of that, right? Understanding, wait a minute, it's just not all good. Rent just went up three times. You know all about that. Amen. So then figuring out, okay, what, what else can we do? So when, yeah. we, when we line up our 1,700 volunteers for Holly Meetup, I know we're on the right track. That doesn't mean we take wrong decisions sometimes, but I know we, we, we're pushing down the right uh, you know, avenue. Great. Um, one other question for you. Mm. Uh, you know, in this book, you tell certain stories. Mm. Um, and I'd love you to just maybe tell it a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, for me, and maybe it's this moment we're in right now, and I'm just intensely nostalgic already. Um, <laughs> but you tell the story of when President Obama mm. uh, came to Red Rooster and what that meant for you. I, I yeah. wish people could see Marcus's yeah. the smile that just broke out uh, when I said this. Can you just tell that story? Because I think it is one of the better. Yeah. It's one of the more. Uh, you guys really, and I have to give credit to you and your collaborator. Yeah. You know, you guys really underplay it. Yeah. In, in the uh, in the telling, yeah. Um, but can you just what was that day all about? That I mean, big Wednesday, I think you. Yeah, it was a Wednesday. You're right. Well, first of all, I remember the moment, the day when we got the call, and that's like any uh, operator. They asked, like, "Can you host a dinner?" And they they the, the people came up to look at the restaurant. And like, it has to be in the basement because uh, because of security reason, and we're like. Don't go in our basement. Our basement is right next to the subway. Right. <laughs> you know, New York City subway with like 125 years of stuff, right? And they, these guys walk down there and like, hmm, can you fix this in 60 days? We're like, sure. <laughs> and then we just went to work and fixed up the basement as good as we could. Um, and uh, I remember the day when the president came, President Obama came to Harlem because it was like the Yankees and the Knicks would have won on the same day. And the party was in Harlem. Right. People were selling Obama cutouts and not just taking selfies, but like selling one dollar picture with like standing next to Obama. People were demonstrating pro and cons. Yeah. The cops. And, you know, Black Lives Matter basically were hugging. Yeah. There was all this, there's this other thing that goes on that was so much bigger than the president. It was actually the moment what it meant that he actually came to Harlem. Well, you also tell when you're explaining all the dramatics that were going on, you guys were forbidden from uh, disclosing that he was coming. But the word got out. I uh, know. I mean, I, I, I love Harlem. It's like it's it's like the, the shower that is just leaks and leaks and leaks. People knew. Right. People knew right away. And and uh, but it didn't. At least I didn't know from us. Right. And but you know, I was also nervous because you're in this fishbowl with like hundreds and hundreds of people just staring in. Uh, and but it was it was an in, incredible day. Uh, it was so much fun. And I remember end of the day, we just fried up all these donuts, gave them out, gave them out to the cops that had worked overtime. And, you know, we had a drink. And it You was gave donuts like, to the cops? Donuts to the cops! <laughs> donuts to the cops! Real donuts! <laughs> but it was, just, it was a party. It was a celebration. And uh, I think it really, you know, we've been blessed by these moments. We talked about Pink Martini yeah. setting the tone mu- musically when President Obama came, set the tone. And restaurant has always been a place specifically in the black communities, a place, restaurants, basements in black communities have always been a gathering point, sometimes to hide. Right. Because you couldn't gather as a group and hold meetings. Uh, when you speak to someone like Leah Chase, third, you know, they had the first integrated restaurant in America, most of the Rosa Park meetings were held 
in the back of her re- restaurant. Wow. And it was so, so restaurant means different for different communities when you sure. kind of have to like have this sort of, you know, the speakeasy, the unofficial with a knock knock. That actually comes from somewhere of real importance because you couldn't let people in because it was really dangerous. Right. So I, I thought about that. Uh, we've hosted after that, obviously, a lot of politicians, but it's always in the basement. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, I, I must say the, the rooster is like, to me, the most perfect example of a of a neighborhood restaurant, and you know, it embodies the soul and the people and the vibe of the community, and it really it works. It integrates itself into the community and works for it, but it just doesn't stop there. It has aspirations for you know the whole mm-hmm. city, the mm-hmm. whole state, the yep. whole country, the whole world. You know, it has it has world class aspirations, yeah. but yet it keeps itself totally rooted mm-hmm. and grounded. In, in the moment yeah. with the people yeah. instead of, you know, it's pretty easy to get your head in the clouds when people like that are calling you. Yeah. It's a lot easier to have your head in the clouds than your feet on the ground when, yeah. when you know, instant success happens yeah. or, or uh, you know, a, a major acclaim and notoriety. And not just for, for your own skill set, mm. which is, you know, badass. You're, yeah. you're an amazing, talented chef. Thank but you. For putting the package together. Yeah, you know, it's like being a movie producer, you know, or being a movie director. Like you, you have the vision. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get to do it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes Absolutely. it translates. Sometimes it doesn't. But your stuff is, um, in my opinion, just 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 spot on. Thank you, thank you so much, and that means a lot because that sort of you know the history of restaurants. And when I speak to my staff daily, you know, we don't talk so much about us, but we talk about the larger purpose, right? Why are we here? Right, and we also hear it's not about always filling the room downstairs. It's about presenting the community. And if there's eight people, we don't hear about the Mondays when there's eight people down there, <laughs> but they're going strong, right? And I always tell that story, like, you know, when the police first played uh, downtown, there were three people watching them, right? Yeah, but, right. you know, they didn't stop playing. They went, so, you know, they became the iconic police. So we are not editors of who's going to come out of our basement. They bend you to that. Know. And so when somebody performs down there, if it's more service and customers, we're still applauding. We have to give it everything. And it's that type of purpose that we're, what we're there for. Sometimes we do stuff that is works, and sometimes we do stuff that doesn't work. But the larger purpose is to presenting the neighborhood and allowing a, a spoken word artist to get a Thursday uh, versus it would be easy just to play the same stuff and so like check check but right. then we're not doing the, the, the purpose and I enjoy that and that's, that for me is part of being successful right it's not just so you can do more and ka-ching you know like that. Right. no uh, let, let's really look, look in that mirror and figuring out so that's been a journey that I really enjoyed. And also allowing to serve different food, right? Right now, we're serving a warm beef tatar um, that, you know, really comes from my wife's fam- uh, family in, in Ethiopia. And to serve like, a, it's a very difficult dish to serve warm beef tatar, to cook it, and for the customers to like, shouldn't it be raw? Shouldn't it be cooked more? But those moments too, those dishes, doesn't, you know, that doesn't always work, but that's a tiny level of success. But for us to be able to do that, yes, it should be a lot of bird and chicken on that, but it should also be other stuff. Right. You know? Spoken like a true chef. I mean, just the, when you were talking about the music, it just made me, it resonated with me in the sense that, yeah, of course, you know, and quite frankly, the restaurant business, you know, I would say one of the number one words is is consistency, right? That's what yeah. the guest wants, you know, that's yeah. what we want to teach our staff. On the other side, um, you know, it's hard to get up every day to cook the same dish a couple oh. hundred times, a, you know, a year, yeah. a, a week, and then a couple thousand times a year. So when you were describing wanting to change the the, the bands and mm-hmm. the music and the you know spoken word and the, yeah. the, the, the feeling, the, you know, the fabric, the soul of it. It just is like, oh, yeah, and that's exactly what you do with the menu, too. Yep, yep. But, you know, the people come to New York and people come specifically to Harlem for many different things. And I think uh, once you stop presenting creativity, we're in a very, very, very difficult spot as a city and as a community. So um, I think the balance, of course, is always very hard. But, you know... Two-thirds of the people that come to our restaurants are either New Yorkers or come from another place, right? When they specifically come to Harlem, 
they they want the true interpretation of jazz whatever that you know that's a wide range but if we would just put on the radio and play the simplest music and serve the same food we would have lied to them too so it's really keeping that north stars of uh, creativity uh, going and uh, right now we have uh, one of our head chefs is is this uh, uh, we have this beautiful redneck as a chef now his name is <laughs> his name is Richard Martin Luther King right he's a southern kid he's a white kid and he's southerner right wow. so he, he is this white redneck kid beautiful soulful chef so beautiful in the kitchen beautiful and he teaches all this, you know, majority people of color staff about black Southern traditions. And they, they just eat they just eat from his hands like this. No figure, huh? You know what I mean? But that's the rooster, right? Like that's the that's rooster. Perfect. Yeah. Right. When he when he sent me the email, I'm like, Marcus Samson does not tell so much more story. When I looked at Richard Martin Luther King, I did not expect him to walk through. Yeah. <laughs> but no I'm You guys should swap names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to meet Richie. He's amazing. amazing. Um, we're going to take a break. We have been talking with Chef Marcus Samuelson, uh, author of the Red Rooster Cookbook, The Story of Food and Hustle in Harlem. Yeah. And uh, when the front burner comes back in just a moment, we're going to talk about some current goings on at the Red Rooster and a couple of other hot topics with Chef Marcus Samuelson when the front burner comes right back. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Dying young is cool, young lion, that's so passe. Well, I think you'll be a brick at 205. Yeah, you'll be kicking whether dead or alive. They'll build a statue or a temple one day to commemorate you when it's over the rodeo. This restlessness. Welcome back to the front burner with Jimmy and Andrew. We've been talking with Chef Marcus Samuelson. Uh, so we're into the beginning of February here, which is Black History Month, mm-hmm. and you have um, a, a, you have an interesting special menu uh, going on at Red Rooster Harlem. Yeah, um, can you tell us tell us a little bit about it and how it came to be? Well, I mean, we think about um, February now. It's when we every year we do a dinner that we focus on women, uh, and uh, I think you know. We, I mean, for me, this idea that, first of all, women has always been, for me, uh, one of the biggest source of inspiration, actually. My grandmother was a great cook, and I met amazing chefs like everybody from Julia to um, Leah Chase to Edna Lewis. So, uh, you know, we want to do every year um, a menu that represents the past and the present. So last year we had someone like Leah, but also Adrian Cheatham and just young chefs meeting. 
But this idea of black history, you know, we, we want to challenge that. So we have someone like Princess Pamela that had her restaurant uh, in Lower Manhattan that was kind of a speakeasy. She cooked at home on second floor. And the Lee brothers are actually coming out with a book about Princess Pamela. Oh, wow. Uh, and she I did a performance that. in there. She didn't like it. She threw you out. So we're doing a couple of her dishes. We're doing um, Zarella, yeah. uh, Aron's mother. You know, I just think her badass story about... Uh, you know, putting that Mexican restaurant in, but also raising a family. But, you know, like there's so many more other contexts to it. Yeah. We, we Just so di- people know, this is Zarella Martinez, yes. who's a very important chef going back to the, I guess, mid-80s mm-hmm. in New York City. Yeah. Yeah. And as you were saying, her son is, is probably more, maybe very well known from uh, his restaurants and yeah. television now, Aron Sanchez. No, she was a little bit before but, Dos Caminos, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, and then we're celebrating a chef like Lian Wong that worked with me for a long time and you know her Hawaiian food and she was always doing this Hawaiian local food for us a staff meal I mean and you know now poke is like the thing Leanne never thought that moment right? right and then we have a young Dominican chef that Rosie that works for us so it's always this definition of, of if you're going to label something well, let's just you know, let's spread it out a little bit. No, so. What do you mean by that? Because I have to, when I first saw the list yeah. I mean obviously I thought it was cool. First of all I think it's cool that you celebrate you know women who are Awesome. You know, like, uh, you know, it's uh, the struggle for representation, for recognition. It it seems endless. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. 2017. I don't need, we don't need to get into where they've been, Mm -hmm. um, uh, kind of dis left and, you know, but still happens a lot in in awards and recognitions and things like that. And opportunity, Mm -hmm. if we're honest. Um, but, um, but it is Black History Month, and yeah. I am curious how you came to this more sort of, I guess what I, we would call what a more expansive definition of, of what you're doing. And, and I, I'm curious to know if anybody, if you've had any pushback on, uh, on that. Yeah, the beauty about pushback is, and I learned this a lot, is that people care. The worst thing is, worst, one thing worse than pushback is no pushback. In silence. Yeah, silence. Indifference. There is that. Right. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to be boxed in like that. I mean, there's a, uh, people of color has uh, always had a, there's a commonality yes. of a journey. Yep. And then there's different exits, right? But that commonality, I wanted, there's more commonality to celebrate. And, uh, you know, Zarella, I remember when she was, she's still screaming at Aron, which is great. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I've done many events with her and she's awesome. These are all people that have connectivity to the restaurant that's either inspired us or cooked with us. And, um, you know, I don't know. I want to celebrate this Black History Month the way I want to celebrate it. God knows if it's there next year with the way, you know, the turn we're going right now is probably off, um, you know, the White House website already, so maybe it's not coming back next year. Who knows? Right. Might as well celebrate it while it's here. Right. <laughs> you but, never know. <laughs> you know, I am interested, you know, the way you were talking about Harlem a few yeah. minutes ago with the book and these different uh, populations, these different yeah. communities that flow through Harlem, um, you know, some of these women represent communities mm. that do exist. And, you know, I mean, most people do think of Harlem uh, you know, the casual observer, mm. uh, you know, they think of the, you know, the most iconic things are, are mostly black, mm. right? It's, you know, the Cotton Club and yeah. Sylvia's. and But, you know, there are other populations that are part of Harlem Amazing. that are less... Uh, less well-known to yeah. the general public or the public outside of, say, New York City. Yeah, but that's the beauty of a neighborhood that you constantly have to reimagine it, right? And especially in New York neighborhood, you constantly have to reimagine but holding on to something. So, you know, there are the two, the three most iconic restaurants from Harlem, two of them are Italian, Rayos yep. and Patsy's. Yep. They're both from East Harlem. Yeah. And then Silvia's, of course, but... Two of them are Italian. Uh, so I think that this idea of what something is, it's always more diverse. And I think our opportunity as a beacon is to introduce people to that. And, uh, you know, uh, there's always been a melange. Uh, when Mussolini was invading Ethiopia, there was an Ethiopian, there was an Italian restaurant in Harlem, and uh, the population in Harlem <laughs> 
walked and demonstrated in front of this Italian restaurant in Harlem circa like, you know, 1890. And the, imagine the poor Italian waiter there. I'm like, I have actually have nothing to do with Mussolini yeah, right. <laughs> is invading Ethiopia. But there's always, as you dive into this, there's always been this very diverse, high, strong energy. And I love that. Well, you know, it's funny. There was, uh, I, you know, the way things think, get, the way things get oversimplified yeah. as you move further away from their origin point yeah. is, you know, there's a book that came out, I think, just last year called What If We're Wrong by Chuck Klosterman. Interesting. And one of the things, and it's, it's the subtitle is something like thinking about uh, the future, uh, f- thinking about the past from the point of view of the future. Mm-hmm. It's all about how, you know, how often people have been wrong in predicting what's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not seeing what's coming. And, and also what he does is looking backwards, look at how these huge complex movements over time get reduced to one or two people. You know, yeah. so like, you know, like there's going to be a time where people are going to say, you know, like, hundred, you know, in a hundred years or whatever, rock, or rock and roll. And it's going to be Elvis Presley. Yeah. And yeah, they won't know. Yeah. All the other names will fall away. You know, were there playwrights other than William Shakespeare? Sure, there were, yeah. you know, but we don't, you know, all these eras get just like reduced to the. You know, you see it in this country. You, you think back to uh, in, in this profession that we're all talking about. Fascinating. You know, the casual observer, uh, you, know, uh, you know, early uh, American restaurants, you know, everyone knows Chez Panisse. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of restaurants of in the early 70s. That added to that. Yeah, yeah but it, over time, everything, you know, things tend to fall away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same is true the way people do think about this community that yeah. you're in. But I always like to... Um, you know, the blackness is something that it's an identity that you always been challenged in my uh, in my life, right? Whether you know from being adopted, sure. Whether growing up in Sweden, yep. Whether going to Ethiopia, where you're not black like us, right? Yeah. Whether you're African or African American, or you know, like so. For me, it's like listen, we've always been the black family on the block. Although my parents were white and my cousins were Koreans. So I just also, at some point, I just like, it's about food. I want to eat delicious food. Yeah. I want to have like great Sorella's food and some Dominican food and present it. So it's, it's, I think this identity piece, and I'm sure like if you think about Jewish culture, it's always similar to that because are you Eastern European or you're from, sure. are you from the motherland or you're from, you know, Bolivia Jewish, like these are all different types. So in the tribe, we can have that conversation and then... Part of being a restaurant is open up that conversation, how it tastes like to sometimes to the tribe, yeah. but sometimes to larger, yeah. which is, I think is so exciting. And again, we're in New York City and we're not a concept. So let's operate freely. And, and again, I go back to this word weird. And in, when you enter the restaurant right now, there is a piece that I did that we did that has half of the faces Tupac and half of the faces David Bowie. Yeah. And people just walk up and stare at that. Uh, and I'm like, you know, for me, it's very, these are very important things because this is a, a great intersection of a windows in to completely different culture. And once you understand Pac, once you understand Bowie, you do understand the rooster. Well, I do remember coming right not long after you opened, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy and I came up yeah. with our friend Stephen Eckler yeah. for dinner. You were there yeah. and you were walking us around and you were showing us, you know, and I remember you said to me, people want to put you in a box and yeah. we're not, we don't, that's not how we do it here. No. Yeah. Doing that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's how people are, right? That's yeah. how restaurants uh, if they're a reflection of a of a um, of a personality, right, mm-hmm. or of a of a soul or of a point of view, they're usually not. Those things are not that simple right. and one dimensional. And then it's the perception thing. You know, yeah. you can be you, but somebody can perceive you as something other than how you feel totally. about yourself. You know? That that that's fascinating too, because you actually you especially when you're working on something, you're so in your own box. Yeah, you're meeting the same crew, you're working. Sure, but then you look up and like, oh, that's not how the customer saw it. Exactly, and and that's been really refreshing with this, you know, online dialogue that people uh, can have whether they put it on. You sure. know, on Insta or whatever they decided to put it on. We didn't have that before, right? There right. was the reviews every other third year. There was maybe the Sagats, and the, that was it. Right. Now it's much more uh, uh, hourly, daily, weekly thing. Sure. 
Um, so, Marcus, before we move off this, this menu that's available, yeah. is it a dinnertime menu? No, it's, we're going to have it. We're going to have some dishes for lunch, but the whole full experience is for dinner. The full yeah. four-course yeah. menu is available yeah. for dinner. Okay. Absolutely. So, uh, we have a couple of minutes. Uh, you know, we were talking ahead of time. Uh, I'll pay you the ultimate compliment, I think. Yeah. I yeah. think you and I are both tennis fans. Yes. <laughs> and Absolutely. I was talking to someone about Roger, a fellow, I write about tennis a little bit, about Roger Federer recently. And uh, this this tennis journalist who's much more well-known in that world than I am said to me, you know, the crazy thing about Roger is he always seems to have time. Mm. He seems to have time on the court. He seems to have time in the press room. Wow. He seems – this is the most – maybe the best tennis player ever. You know, he does post-match press conferences sure. in several languages. You know, it's been striking to me and I would think maybe to Jimmy too, you know, watching yes. as you're – you know, because we knew you when you first got here. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you've got restaurants around the world. You've got, you know, I'm holding your book here. Uh, you've been involved in various television projects. You have a pr- restaurant coming up in London. Yeah. Um, you always seem sort of, you know, you were here the day your Harlem Eat Up Festival yeah. <laughs> started about last year. You always seem sort of unrushed. Uh, you always seem very focused on whoever's with yeah. you. Um, how do you... And I'm not just blowing smoke yeah. when I say this. A lot of people who know Marcus would say this. But how do you – give us a window into how you mm. keep yourself organized and um, uh, allocated yeah. in a way that – you know, you have a family. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you keep this together? What's the team that you have? I don't need names. No. But, I mean, what's your system and how have you worked this out for yourself? No, but, uh, but I'm, I'm always excited, first of all, to come here, right? Like, that's like it's meaningful to me. I love seeing you guys and Thank I love you. talking. Like, like, I don't want to know what the questions are. Like, I want to get into it. And so I'm excited about this. This is actually my lunch break. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, but it's a good one. You right. know what I mean? And that helps. Versus, especially in a day when you're building something and you're fixing something and it's, you know, the day cannot just be about how many covers did we do last night? You know what I mean? Because I think that will burn you out. Our industry is, yes, you guys know, it's easy to burn out because it's just this monotone, just like Jimmy said, you got to go back and repeat and repeat and repeat. So that's a huge part of this, feeling emotionally connected and having a good conversation, right? And then the other part, I mean, my team uh, that works for me, they're awesome. It so many things that I'm not, right? I'm lucky enough to, we picked a team that, you know, the woman who's head of the, the purse, she sits on it and she's really good at that and she tells me what to do and I love that. Uh, the, or Derek that does our, our, you know, marketing and, and all of that stuff. It works with Philip very, very closely. So I'm like, I don't have, to, I, I'm not, that's not where my, but like, I still want to get involved, which, which line cook is coming up and where is she working and why isn't she going to Sweden versus him or, you know. So do I'm, you keep most of your personal time and energy these days still in the restaurant? Yeah, is that, That's where most of your time, you still. Office is right there and my house is right there and the team is there. And then out of that, we operate, whether I go to Sweden, London, whatever I do, but it's very much, I want to focus on that. I want to focus on the food, the team, the front of the house team, the back of those team and the artistic movement of the company right i i like accountants but that's not what i got into the industry i'm not good at it right and i acknowledge that i'm not good at it you right know? but it's very important it's super important otherwise we're not in business but right. i'm not going to be like no you can actually do this a little bit better like i have i have an iphone doesn't mean i know how it works well what's interesting <laughs> to me about this is you know I um I actually interviewed someone not long ago about Wolfgang Puck. Yeah. And they were saying you know the amazing thing about him is you know 40 years after he started his career in the states he still that guy still likes to cook. Of course. And still likes to be in the restaurants. Yeah. Uh and it's sort of you know as you're talking you know it it is interesting because that's not always the case now. A lot of chefs and I'm not pu- I'm not putting it down. Yeah. I think it's really important. I you know I always say I don't begrudge anyone their empire. Mm-hmm. If they're happy moving away from the kitchen, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I think to complain about that too much, it's just not mm-hmm. it, things. We've been talking about evolution yeah. here today, right? Yeah. Things do change. This industry yeah. has morphed. It's not what it used to be. Yeah. But it is for me um, heartening. I, I do love hearing that you still have. You've tried to arrange your business in a way that allows but you I, not to lose touch with those kitchens. I, I am a, f- I am a food nerd, right? Like right. there's no if 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 I wouldn't have a restaurant, I would read, dream, eat, cook this anyway, right? That right. is, and I think it's more exciting today because it's you don't know. Like I'm, 
you know, there's a corner restaurant in D.C. that I got to get to. And I, they just did this thing. And when I hear about it and I haven't been there and my, one of my manager, Lankook, has been there, I'm pissed. Do you know what I mean? And as long as you have that, yeah. you're going to keep having fun. The minute you don't have it, and we need to take pause, right? There was a pause between Aquavit and Red Rooster. I needed that. I missed it. Like after three months, I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Like, mm, still right. itch. And then some people, that's not the right venue for them to go back to. Right. But for me, it has. So I think that's very, very important. And each chef's going to settle them themselves. But, you know, as we speak and think about our buddy Waxman, for example, yeah. that, you know, like his elevator is amazing, right? He, he knows, you know, the dishwasher in Nashville. And he knows, you know, like someone all the way over here, right? His yeah. El- if his elevators and Wolf, can you talk about Danielle? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't think Danielle is yelling at someone at this very moment, yeah. right? <laughs> but it's a good yell, right? Yeah. I love, I mean, thank God. And I'm like, when I worried about that, when, when Wolf and Danielle is, is not doing it anymore, like, I, that's my compass, right? That's right. true of Jonathan. Those are my compasses. So when they're not, I mean, Jonathan's a different approach than Danielle, but like, if they're not pushing, like, then maybe it gets weary for me, you know. Well, then it'll be on you. Yeah, it'll be yeah. your turn to be yeah. that. But I'm not ready. You know. You know what I mean? Well, yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> you're never ready for the next role, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. no one's ever qualified yeah. for the next no, job. You're right. we'll, we'll give you a little break in between. Yeah, in between. Get you yeah. fired up. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> Uh, what else can you? Any? What else? Uh, we got a, just no, a minute I, or two. What's what's the? You're still London. Still coming up for you. London, you're do Red Rooster in, in London. Yeah, we're building in Shoreditch, and it takes time. And obviously, the the Brexit thing put us a little bit in. Oh, in, I uh, see. Uh, because we wanted a lot of stuff from from Sweden, and we just have to fit, refigure it out. But I think by spring we're there, like May, June, a spring Great. opening, and East London. It's it's so different. It's it's uh, riders community. Uh, you have a little. Bit of you have great Indian restaurants there. Yeah, soul. Yeah. yeah, you have good locks. You have good Jewish restaurant down the street. So like you know, I get my locks down there, and I feel like mm. so we're probably gonna have herring in the restaurant, which I'm super excited about. Nice, <laughs> you know. So it's it's good. It's it's just yummy to get in there and 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 uh, deal with the Brits. You know, it's good. Great. Well, Marcus, uh, we're out of time. Unfor- time flies. Yes. Could do uh, this all day. All day. Uh, it's great to see you. Marcus's recent book is Red Rooster, the Cookbook, the Story of Food and Hustle in Harlem, uh, the special Black History Month menu featuring uh, the uh, four-course menu by the four women mm-hmm. chefs that we talked about, uh, is being featured throughout the month of February 2017 at Red Rooster Harlem. Uh, we wish you all the best with everything you. you're doing, and thank you for coming out to Brooklyn. Thank you for visiting us. Me. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Drimdrim. And uh, Jimmy, thanks for being here. Here we go. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, that's it for this week's show. Jimmy and I will see you back here next week. Oh, I should say, sorry. You can follow us on Twitter at Chef Podcast, and you can follow the front burner with Jimmy and Andrew on Facebook. Jimmy's restaurant is the Red Cat in the Chelsea neighborhood of New York City. And we'll see you back here next week on the front burner with Jimmy and Andrew. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.